Welcome to 2819. I'm Sandra Dimas. And I'm Daniel Lemmier. And today's topic is on the Christmas star. Christmas! Yes! It's such a fun season, but also oh, there are so many questions about what was the star of Bethlehem? Right. Mm-hmm. Was it a giant comet or, you know, an aligning of planets? Mm-hmm. So many questions. It's one of our most popular. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. I know for sure I've seen every year around Christmas time, there's a huge influx of questions about mm-hmm. specifically Christmas star. Yeah. So we're going to get right into it. In Everyday Apologetics, we'll hear a special Christmas message from Ken Samples. And in Science Faith Connection, Jeff's work will talk with Hugh Ross about the possibilities for the Christmas star. Yeah. First up will be Culture Talk. Sandra will be interviewing astronomer David Block on his perspective on the Christmas star. So let's go ahead and check it out. Now it's time for Culture Talk, where we have culturally relevant topics that you can use to start conversations about your faith. And I'm joined today with astronomer David Block. Thank you so much for joining us. It's lovely to be here, Sandra D. Yeah, it's Christmas season, and oh, you know. Oh, it's Christmas season Yes, indeed. we're very excited. You know, a lot of times we get questions from viewers and from, yes. you know, people who watch our content. They want to know about the Christmas star, meaning yes. the star that hovered over the Christ yes. child. wonderful. So what do we read in the Bible? Tell us that about what we know about the Christmas Aha. star. Well, what we read is so exciting in Matthew mm-hmm. chapter 2, I believe. Mm-hmm. The star of Bethlehem, mm-hmm. the Christmas star. Point number one, I suppose, is that it was visible for a period of around two years. Mm-hmm. It's not like just an instantaneous sighting. Mm-hmm. It was visible for around two years, and the Magi undertook a journey of around two years oh, wow. to find Jesus, not in a manger, mm-hmm. but in the house, in a house. How do I know this? Mm-hmm. Well, Herod orders the slaughter of the innocents, mm-hmm. the order of all males in Bethlehem, two years and younger according to the time the wise men saw the star. From an astronomical point of view, Sandra, I don't know, no astronomer knows what the star of Bethlehem might have been. It may have been, astronomers have conjectured it may have been a comet, a supernova, and one can rule all some of those out, and there's some which remain plausible, like a nova, Some argue that it was a miracle. Mm. But the point is, the point I'd like to stress for the viewers is that it was a period of two years. Mm. This was no quick journey. Right. Well, so I'm wondering, what can we glean from Scripture as far as what prompted the wise men or the magi to actually start on this journey? What what prompted them? They were obviously very astute observers of the night skies. Mm. That's why we know, for example, and can immediately rule out comets, for example, because that would have been seen by Herod and all the scribes and so forth. This is a very subtle star in the sense that you had to be have a very keen, astute eye to be able to see its significance. And they came from the east. They journeyed for around two years. I have two favorite theories, in a sense. The one is that it was a conjunction of the planets. You used the word earlier, mm-hmm. planets, buddy, buddy. Buddy, buddy planets, yes. Buddy, buddy, buddy. <laughs> I love that, the buddy, buddy ones. And here the two buddies were Jupiter mm-hmm. and Saturn, mm-hmm. budding, budding. Yeah. And that'll happen really in terms of close intimacy 
in the year 7541, which is a little way out to go. But we can keep it for our next interview on um, here at RTME yeah. in a few thousand years' time. But the point really is, is that the Star of Bethlehem was not something which was obvious mm -hmm. to all. It was something which appeared, mm -hmm. uh, disappeared, mm -hmm. reappeared. That's why, for example, some astronomers such as Hugh Ross favor the Nova hypothesis, a new star. Mm -hmm. Now, you can imagine the Milky Way containing 100,000 million stars. If a new one appears, mm -hmm. you wouldn't even know it, about it. But if you, if you, if you schooled mm -hmm. in the sciences of astronomy, you'd know. Right. Well, I love that, the idea of them being really astute and very aware, very aware. paying attention and knowing Correct. that there would be some signs Correct. to show that the Christ child was Absolutely. born. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, of course, there were prophecies, too, right. as to where the child would be born. He would be born in Bethlehem and so on and so on and so on. Myriads of prophecies in the Old Testament. But I believe the wonder of the Magi is that they had this astute eye. And when something new appeared, mm -hmm. they knew the signaled a great event. Right. Well, and you did talk about it possibly being a nova. Yes. What are some of the other kind of common answers that you think we could kind of rule out as mm. not something that would have been oh, the I love that star? question. You know, a supernova or exploding star can be ruled out because it would disappear over a period of a few weeks or months. Mm -hmm. It would appear suddenly in the sky, but then it would decline and it's gone. It's exploded. So exploding stars, supernovae, can be ruled out. Comets, for example, mm -hmm. can be ruled out. For example, Comet Halley appeared in the year, I believe, around 11 BC, which is far too early, mm -hmm. uh, dating the birth of Jesus. So they can be ruled out. Planetary conjunctions, buddy buddies, can't mm -hmm. be ruled out. Mm -hmm. They can't be ruled out. Novi can't be ruled out. Mm -hmm. And the other one is this, you know, the, the whole entire Christmas story, Sandra, mm -hmm. is birthed on a miracle. Mm -hmm. And so coming from a very um, orthodox Jewish background, the Star of Bethlehem could have also been a miracle. Mm -hmm. Just like in the Old Testament, there was this light mm -hmm. which led uh, the Israelites forth. Um, it may have been a miracle, too, because, as I say, the birth of our Lord mm -hmm. is miraculous. Matthew tells us enough but doesn't tell us enough. Yeah. He leaves us in suspense. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot that we can glean from that. What yes. would you say when we look at kind of the, the deeper message mm. of the Magi's journey? Oh, wonderful. What would you say we can glean from that? I love that. I think that the take-home lesson for me is that the Magi followed the star. They were led. They were not driven. It's terribly important in today's world of busy, busy, stress, stress, and so on, to be driven. Mm -hmm. People are driven and not led. The psalmist says in Psalm 23, does he not, the Lord is my shepherd. And to me, the take-home lesson is today, mm -hmm. as people are watching this, we need to be led by the Spirit of God, not driven. And I give three criteria for do, how do we know we are being driven? Mm -hmm. I think of the, the, um, the uh, man of Gadara mm -hmm. and Jesus commanding the demons to come out of him, entering the swine, and they were driven to their death. Mm -hmm. The slope was downhill, mm -hmm. the speed was fast, and the end was death. Mm -hmm. If those fruits, any one of those fruits are in your life, high speed, mm -hmm. downhill slope, or possible death, mm -hmm. you know that's nothing to do with the Lord at all. The Lord puts the star in the sky. 
the Magi are led uh, step by step to where Jesus is. And then another one, you have to be in the right place at the right time. The Magi were in the right place at the right time. And you know, growing up as a young boy in South Africa, I remember the tragedy of being in the right place at the wrong time and you lose and you, miss, you don't catch your train. You're in the right place, but you're there in the wrong time. And the secret of Christmas is that you have to be in the right place at the right time. And thirdly, never act until you see the evidence. The Magi stayed home yeah. until they saw the star. And if, we, if only we could learn to move when God says go, mm. and when God doesn't speak, mm -hmm. to stay at home. Wow, I, I really love hearing the, the message there and the understanding of it's not just about patience to wait, but also patience to journey for two long yes, years. Absolutely. So wherever we are in our journey, it mm -hmm. might take a long time, mm -hmm. but what a good message. So thank you so much for that. If you'd like to hear more from Dr. David Block, go to reasons.org and search David Block. Here's kind of an outline of uh, the early life of Jesus. He's born maybe 4 BC, dies approximately 30 AD. His death and resurrection then would be about the time of 30, maybe 33. Scholars uh, debate some of those issues. But these early Christian creeds go back to 30 or 31. So it really refutes the claim that Christians invented a divine Christ uh, or deified a divine Christ. Rather, the deity of Jesus, his divinity was seen from the very early part of, of historic Christianity. Let me say as well, since at RTB we talk a lot about creation, how does the image of God relate to the doctrine of the creation? I think it's, there's a perfect fit. Thus it would appear that by making humankind in his divine image, God then also made it possible for himself to take a human nature. In this way, the Imago Dei status of human being foreshadows and facilitates the incarnation. I mean, think about it. I love cats and dogs. I can't imagine, however, God becoming a canine or a feline. Why did God make us in his image? What was the very purpose? I think the best answer I've ever heard comes from theologian Anthony Hukuma, who asserts this. He said it was only because man had been created in the image of God that the second person of the Trinity could assume a human nature. Why were we created in the image of God? Because all along, God had planned to become one of us. So making humans in his image opened the door. It facilitated uh, the reality of God becoming a man. And so again, we see these doctrines weaved together so importantly in, in such a systematic way. The Trinity allows for the incarnation. The second person of divinity becomes man. But the uh, image of God makes it possible for God to, to take that step and become man. So in other words... God made human beings in his image because all along he planned to become one of them at the incarnation in order to redeem lost sinners. And if we think a bit about, about the incarnation, um, you know, if we believe that, uh, if we believe there's a God, how, how are we reconciled to that God? How are we to be forgiven by that God? 
Christianity differs from Judaism and Islam. They both have a God that requires us to keep the law. But in Christianity, we have a God who has taken our own human nature. In fact, we have a Savior who has come into the world and all of our sins are put on His account. It's kind of a bookkeeping a way of thinking about salvation. You know, all of us have our little debit cards. Uh, we have credits and we have debits. Jesus comes into the world and He takes all of our debits. He takes our sins of anger and envy and gluttony and greed and lust and pride and sloth. He takes all of that debit. And what does He do for us? He takes away our sin but he gives us all of his righteousness. Uh, we, get, we get all of the, the benefits. Uh, we get all of the credits. He takes all of our, our sinfulness. And this is the very difference. And so what separates Christianity from Judaism, from Islam, what separates Christianity from more liberal theological forms of thinking, it's celebrated at the incarnation. It comes to us uh, in the Advent season, where, where God has appeared to us and has come in human form. It also leads us to, to have devotion. There are a lot of Christmas carols that I, I enjoy. In fact, I like everything about Christmas. Uh, I don't even mind the shopping. I don't mind the, the people going to and fro. I sense in my culture that even people who don't share my faith, they know there's something happening. They know there is a season where there's something special, something unique, something beyond their everyday life. And so I see Christmas as, as a remarkable time, a time of, of celebration, a time of joy. And I've been in a store shopping for Christmas presents, and I've, I listen to some of the carols that are sung, and I see the very gospel in them. So here's one of many Christmas carols that I enjoy, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Look at the content of this song. It says, Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn King. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, Join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn King. To be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it is to believe in his identity as a single person who has both a divine and human nature. And that's what we celebrate during the Advent season. That's what we focus upon. Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and his glory and his nature that separates uh, historic Christian belief uh, from the belief of other faiths uh, and other particular philosophical systems. I write a lot about this topic because I think that uh, to be a Christian is to believe deeply in the incarnation. So in my books, Without a Doubt and Seven Truths That Changed the World, I talk about this idea. Let me close by saying again, I remember in July of 1969 how proud I was as an American to actually see American astronauts land on the moon. And I thought, how could there be anything more incredible than that? Here are these human beings that have uh, traveled to this, uh, this moon up there and they land there. But 
as a Christian, I think even more about it. And I think, isn't it more glorious, more amazing that God has walked on planet Earth? And so Earth is special for many reasons. It's teeming with life. It's in the just right place. It has all of these qualities that allow for the remarkable nature of human existence. But there's even a more important reason. God has walked on planet Earth. God has taken a human nature and has lived among us, died in our, in our place. And so this is, a, this is a great time to give glory to God uh, and I certainly appreciate uh, all of the things that Reasons to Believe does. And one of the special things is our chapter members. So I hope that this talk will encourage you in your, your journey of faith and your desire to, to live and to please God, who has become man in the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Hello, Jeff Zwerink. Welcome back to Science Faith Connection, the segment of our show where we explore important scientific ideas and see how they relate to the truth of Scripture. Today I'm joined again by founder of Reasons to Believe, Dr. Hugh Ross, and we're going to be talking about the Christmas star. Hugh, good to have you on the show. Well, thank you. So we're coming up towards Christmas again, and there's just a always brings questions about the Christmas star. That's one of these places where Scripture talks about something that has seems like very much astronomical import. And right. so I guess I just kind of want to start off today. What are some of the verses or where does it in Scripture talk about the star? And what does it tell us about how it's going to look like? Well, it's in the book of Matthew, okay. part of the book of Matthew, that talks about how uh, there was a star that appeared and it caused the wise men to uh, come and visit. Another relevant passage would be Daniel chapter 9, uh, verses 24 to 27 which actually is a prophecy of when the Messiah would mm -hmm. come. So uh, people who are familiar with the prophecy of Daniel would have been cognizant of at least the approximate time that the Messiah would come. And so the wise men in the east, and now Daniel was the chief of the wise mm -hmm. men, so uh, those wise men would have been familiar with his writings. They would have been watching uh, for a sign. So... The, the traditional portrayal of this is, you know, you got Mary and Joseph in the main, or out in the stable, there's the manger, there's this bright beaming star, just kind of almost like a spotlight shining down on them. Uh, I don't think that's the way it looked, but uh, scripturally, do we have anything that says that it's a little more subtle or bright like that? Well, definitely, because, uh, you know, the wise men knew the time, but they didn't know the location. Uh, so they went into Jerusalem and talked to the uh, priests there and uh, also had a conversation uh, with King Herod. And what's interesting is neither the priests nor King Herod were really aware of this event. Mm -hmm. So if it was something spectacular, everybody would be aware of it. We would see it recorded in astronomical records around the world. The only possible recording that I've found in ancient writings is an obscure Korean astronomical record which indicates that they saw a guest star in 5 BC, which is the approximate time of when Christ came. Mm -hmm. And a guest star would fit in the sense that the text tells us that the star appeared in the east, it disappeared, and it reappeared. But the reappearance uh, was considerably after the birth of Christ. So it's not like the manger scene with the star. Right. Uh, that doesn't work because we notice that based on the timing that uh, King Herod learned from the wise men, 
he went and slaughtered all the firstborn babies that were two years of age or younger, mm -hmm. which tells us that somewhere between, say, a year and two after the birth of Christ is when the wise men actually visited right. uh, Joseph and Mary and the child. So that does put a little bit of a time constraint on Puts how time long the time of the events right. could have happened. So, right. so just kind of take a little bit of time here. What are some of the possible astronomical phenomena that people have used that might explain what the what we're seeing in the Christmas? Well, story? the most popular explanation it was a conjunction of two planets, or a conjunction of a planet uh, with the moon, or a conjunction of a planet with. Uh, you know, Regulus, the king star, right, Leo. Okay. Those are the most popular explanations. I'm critical of those explanations because the text in Matthew talks about a single star. Mm -hmm. And all of these explanations involve two objects. There are also events that would have been easily recognized by people around the world. So the fact that this is a subtle event, that Herod had no idea, uh, the religious leaders had no idea, we don't see it recorded in any of the records tells us it has to be something, it's not a major comet or a supernova mm -hmm. or a conjunction of planets. And that's why I favor the explanation that it's either a recurring nova or uh, a cataclysmic variable star. That would be subtle enough uh, that we wouldn't expect to see it recorded or for King Herod and the religious leaders to be familiar with it. But it's prominent enough that people were looking for a sign would say, hey, there's an extra star appearing in mm -hmm. this constellation. And uh, you know they would see that as a rare event, and uh, that would get them moving towards uh, Jerusalem. And the fact that it reappeared tells us it can't be an ordinary nova. Mm -hmm. It would have to be a nova that recurs. Or it could be a cataclysmic variable star. In both cases, you've got a star that would be invisible to the naked eye. It would explode and become visible. It would fade away and explode again and become mm -hmm. visible again. So I think those are the two uh, favorite explanations. Personally, I lean towards the recurring nova because that's likely to give you a brightness about the same at both events. Whereas with a cataclysmic variable star, uh, the second brightness could be wildly different from the first. Right, okay, so that, so your supernova or a comet or something like that doesn't seem to work because that's just visible by way too many people. Way too many people, and you're not gonna get the recurrence. Right. I mean, supernova, you get one explosion, right? <laughs> that's a fair point. So, <laughs> right. so you gotta have something that's subtle in the sky, but you know, I mean, as you're talking about uh, the wise men there, they're looking for things. They're so, looking. So the fact that it's subtle is, is going to be what they're, the sorts of thing they're gonna find, if you will. And they would recognize that this would be a rare event. So, and they knew the approximate time, and so they had their entourage uh, come. But I'm impressed with the faith of the Magi. Mm -hmm. They didn't know the location. They only knew the time. And then they had this huge entourage that came into Jerusalem. As the text says, the whole city of Jerusalem is in a stir at their visit. So this is a major investment on their part. So I think it demonstrates the faith that they had and that to me is a testimony uh, to us today. Look at the faith of the Magi. And of course, they played a crucial role in ensuring uh, that the Messiah would survive and be able to do his ministry. Right. You know, one of, one of the things that I've found is that 
there's a lot of people, again, who just have, you know, what I did for a long time, this impression of this is a star that was just visible to everyone, clearly, I mean, like I said, almost beaming where it was. That doesn't match the text. There's also a lot of people who are convinced they've got the explanation, whether it be this particular conjunction or that particular conjunction or, or the nova or whatever it is. What if, you know, so you said you favored the recurring nova explanation. What if you're just wrong? What if it was a conjunction? Or what if it was something entirely different than what we've talked about? How, how, would, how would you respond to that? I'm okay with that. I mean, uh, I mean, one very popular explanation is that in 1 BC, uh, there was a conjunction of Jupiter and uh, Venus that was so close that they actually appeared as a single star. So that kind of matches the text, mm -hmm. one star. The problem I have with that is it only becomes one star to the naked eye for about one hour. Mm -hmm. And moreover, it's not the hour in the land of Israel. It's uh, quite a bit uh, to the east. So the wise men wouldn't have seen it that way. The people in uh, Jerusalem wouldn't have seen it that way. And I think the date's a problem. Uh, 1 BC is really too late uh, to explain the historical record. Well, that's, that's one of the things that I found interesting about this whole discussion is uh, when was Jesus born is not a settled question. I mean, what are, where, no, as, as you've looked at it, what are the kind of legitimate range of dates for when Jesus is born and what do you think is probably the best one if you were to make a guess? Well, it really uh, critically depends on uh, when King Herod died. Mm -hmm. Most historical records put that date at 4 BC, which means that Jesus would have to be born before that. That's the problem with the 1 BC date. Mm -hmm. Although uh, there are historians who say they're not certain about the 4 BC date. So, I mean, you're right. Not all of this stuff is settled, uh, but I'm kind of using probability to say it looks like the historical records highly favor the 4 BC date for the death of King Herod. So we need to look for dates that are earlier. And I am intrigued that the Koreans recorded a guest star in 5 BC. Well, thanks, Hugh. I really appreciate your comments. You know, when we look in Scripture, it does say that there was some sort of astronomical phenomena announcing Christ's birth. And as we look at the astronomical record, we see many possibilities of what might have been. We see that there's this real plausibility and legitimacy to what Scripture is saying. But we also need to be careful that we don't overstate what our particular solution is because there's a lot of uncertainty about when Jesus was born and what the astronomical event might have been. If you find this topic intriguing, I would encourage you to go to reasons.org, search for Christmas star. You'll get a lot of resources that explore the different options for what the Christmas star might have been and how you can use this incredibly fascinating topic to tell others about Jesus. We hope this episode has helped equip you to share your faith, compassion, and confidence. Yeah, I really love this topic. I'm so glad that we got to hear different perspectives from right. David Block, from Hugh Ross. And really, I think the overall message is explaining kind of the importance of really studying and being prepared. And yeah. then also what the Star of Bethlehem meant. It meant that people who were incredibly learned and then people who were... Ceremoniously, ceremoniously unclean, like everyone could approach the mm -hmm. Christ child. So I think that's just such a beautiful message. I completely agree. I thought it was such a great learning experience mm -hmm. this whole entire episode. And I hope for viewers out there, they're able to take this information and uh, it'll help equip them to share their faith during this holiday season. Don't forget, subscribe to the show and search for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at 2819 show. We'd love to know what you want for Christmas. Yeah. 
And if you would like the audio version of the show, you can find us on your favorite podcast app. Just search Reasons to Believe Podcast. See you next week. See ya.